Hello and welcome. It is your money. My name is Susie Jones and I want to jump right in and remind you if you're listening anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you don't get your question answered in the next hour, you can always call one eight 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 six advice or go online to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. But right now, you can call or text our studio line at 651-461-9226. Here is Senior Vice President and founder, actually he is the founder of Wealth Enhancement, and he is a financial advisor, and it is a very special broadcast this week. We're calling it Ask Bruce anything. Bruce Elmer, how are you today, my friend? Hi, Susie Jones. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm well. And, uh, I, you know, I'd be remiss. I think this is the, the last broadcast we're going to do this holiday season. Mm. And everybody listening, uh, happy, uh, happy, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Hanukkah. I, I know it's a, it's a spiritual time for a lot of different people. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a time of year. Um, for me, what I love about this time of year I always tell people, Susie, um, I love my children because they're my children, and mm-hmm. I love them unconditionally, but I actually like my children, and I enjoy time together with them. They're smart, and they're funny, and they're, I'm proud of the adults that they've become, and so this time of year is really special uh, for me, but just because of, more than anything else, time with my kids, so I'm really looking forward to that. How about you? Are you going to get together with loved ones? Are you going to ring in the new year? Are you going to celebrate the holidays? What are your plans? <laughs> well, I have a wing ding of a day on Christmas Day because that is my birthday. Oh, I was born on Christmas I, Day. I, you know, I knew that. I knew that about you, and I forgot. <laughs> and this year, I will turn sixty six zero. Stop the big yeah. I and don't think so. I am, and I'm very excited because I have booked a room on December twenty sixth at the brand new Four Seasons Hotel downtown Minneapolis, and I'm going to have a. 24 hours of pure luxury and pampering. Oh, I cannot wait, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> nice. A little, little massage, a little pedicure. Yeah, the, the, whole, oh, yeah. the whole shooting match. I can't even stand it. So nice. anyway, that will be fun. But we are having 40 people at my mom's house. And uh, she said this year, well, she said, I don't want to host Christmas. It's too stressful. And so my daughter, who I love and like, um, she said, I'll be the chairman of Christmas. And so she has got a spreadsheet and all my mom is doing is providing the venue. And Josie has got a list a mile long and she is telling everyone to do everything. And then mom will do nothing. And we are all <laughs> in that fun. So that's Christmas Day. And then Christmas. That's Eve a great is, plan. Yeah. So anyway, well, it's in, in yeah, enjoy that quality time and enjoy your special pampering on your birthday because you deserve it and you've earned it. And uh, um, that's just that's awesome. I forgot that you're. And has your family always done a good job of differentiating your birthday from Christmas? I know my son is a December 29th, so he it can be easy to get lost in the shuffle. And I've tried to always go to great lengths to make sure that we differentiate. Here's presents or here's acknowledgement of your birthday. Here's Christmas, and we draw a line between the two. I would say that there's that hasn't happened. My day is always just mashed into Christmas, which is fine. I've come to accept that, and I'm not resentful at all. I really am not. But once upon a time in the last 30 years, 
Star Tribune asked for people to write in their experiences with being a Christmas birthday. And so I wrote this story, Bruce, and I kind of lied. Well, I did lie. Um, and I, I fibbed. And I said that <laughs> my sisters would give me a Merry Christmas, Happy Birthday present. And it would one year my sister gave me one sock for Christmas and another sock for my birthday. And they were all like, we never did that. But I said, well, it's it's a good story. So then that year, of course, they got me a sock, one sock for Christmas, one sock for my birthday. But, yeah, my mom does a good job of remembering. She likes to tell the story. Dramatic license. You had to be. It's metaphorical. You're making a point. I I get it. You you wasn't fibbing. Well, listen, um, as you mentioned, listeners can call in today or text with any financial question that they can think of if they've got them. Okay. I'll do my best to answer them. Those that listen to the show on a regular basis know that Peg Webb is usually here with me, and she's considerably smarter than I am. Uh? And she usually she usually knows the right answers, and I don't, but I'll do my best. Mm. And, Susie, we also, um, I kind of keep a folder of, of things that maybe we touch on on a show but don't get to completely, mm-hmm. that maybe we can come back and revisit. So I always pull that outline out when we do a, a, an open line show. So I've got a couple things that maybe I'll lead with. But uh, if you want to throw the number out there and, and plug uh, calls and texts uh, to the extent we can, we'll let listeners drive this thing. But they will anyway because I've got stuff from them from previous shows that we left maybe unfinished. And I'll start with that stuff, but let's uh, let's see if we can get some uh, people involved today, too. All right. It is 651-461-9226. That is our text line and our studio line, 651-461-9226. Uh, already got a text that says, I'm a wealth enhancement customer. Well, good. Another text writes, Susie, you and I share the same birthday, but this person writes, I'll only be 59. Blech. No, I'm teasing. We don't care. But thanks for thanks for those right out of the gate texts. But do you want me to read you this question and give the scenario of my mother passing away, and then you respond? Sure. If okay. you, yeah. If you want to, well, yeah. Let's start with that, and then I, again, I got a couple other things to go back on too. But yeah, what, what do you got? This is a question from a texter. My mother passed away this year and left me three different retirement accounts: an inherited IRA with 47,000 an inherited Roth IRA with 55,000 and a taxable brokerage account that's 100% invested in stocks with a balance of 225,000 I'm 63 and plan to retire in 2023 which of these three accounts should I use first this is a really good question even if it's not I mean even if it's not um that you're getting it in an inheritance, but when, which bucket do you start with when you're ready to retire? Ooh, I like that you use the, the, the metaphor bucket for, for the money. Cause that's exactly um, what this question is. So it's very specific. It's very detailed um, with some specific dollar amounts. And I'm, I'm probably less concerned about the dollar amounts and more concerned with where the potential income is coming from. So an inherited IRA um, is different, very different than an inherited Roth IRA. And then a typical taxable account, that seems like the most onerous thing because it's taxable by definition. But actually, in this case, it's not as onerous because a non-qualified or a taxable account is eligible for something called 
step up in basis, which I'll describe in a second, and IRAs don't don't have that luxury. So when we're looking at retirement income planning and we've got various buckets of money or various options of where we draw income from, we always talk, Susie, about spending the smartest money first. And the smartest money is a combination of what are the tax ramifications of what I spend and also what are the investment results. Now, what I mean by investment results is if you've got money in a stock portfolio, which they, they say they do, 225000 I guess, in a non-IRA stock portfolio, I'm going to guess that that 225 right now was a lot higher 12 months ago. It just went through a bad year in the stock market. So you might say, well, I don't want to sell stocks right now because the market just took a big hit, and I think I would be selling low, and I don't want to sell low. I want to wait till there's some market recovery before I sell my stocks. But on the other hand, if they had that stock portfolio for 8, 10, 12, 15 years, Maybe they are still very much in a profitable situation, and the last year didn't put the account negative. It just took away some of the earnings they had had in previous years, and that they're still considerably up from what their basis or what the amount of the investment was. And they might say, no, I don't mind selling stocks because I'm still selling at a gain. But we look at if we don't want to sell stocks because we think it's a bad time and we're selling when the market's low – do we have other non-stock options that the investment results are make it smarter money to spend? Do we have cash? And then again, like I said, we look at the tax ramifications. So when we talk about minimizing taxes, we're also talking about doing it over a lifetime, not just in 2023. So sometimes an efficient retirement income tax reduction planning Sometimes we might encourage a client to do some things that might trigger more tax in the short term, a little bit more in 2023, but you'll save a lot more down the road and your net tax savings over your lifetime will be considerable. In other words, sometimes it's better to pay a little bit now to save yourself from paying a lot later. So without knowing the whole big picture here, and they gave us a lot of good information in the text, but I still don't know, you know everything about them. Um, in terms of where they should take um, the money from, since the, the inherited accounts um, on the non-IRA probably gets a step-up in basis, um, you might want to um, use those assets um, rather than the IRA. But on the other hand, on the inherited IRA, the new rules probably apply, which means if you inherit an IRA, you've got to take all the value out of that within the next 10 years, so you've got to completely exhaust that. So you might look at that and say, gosh, um, I've got to spend that over 10 years anyway. Maybe I'll start there. But again, with, 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 with the option of Roth, where there's no tax whatsoever, versus traditional IRA, which it's all taxed, but I've got to take it out of there anyway. I don't have a choice. I've got to exhaust that account down to zero within 10 years. And the other account where I maybe get a step up in basis, which generates no tax whatsoever. That's right. I didn't explain that. So step up in basis, listeners, and Susie means, so that account is worth 225 right now. But maybe the total investment was $100,000. 
Maybe, maybe that account has grown in value over the years by $125,000. So if you sold that while you were alive, you would have to pay the taxes on $125,000 gain. But if you pass away and you pass that two twenty-five dollars to a loved one, which in this case is the texter, and they sell that at two twenty-five, dollars their basis steps up. Their basis is not the 100000 that the person was who built that account. Their basis is the value of that account on the day that person died and they inherited that money. So they might be able to liquidate that entire account without any tax consequence whatsoever. So again, that's a huge benefit to the non-IRA, but again, then you have to look at investment results. Am I happy selling stocks at this price, or would I rather spend something else and give stocks more time to recover? So this is oftentimes not an exact science. It's often going to be driven by how much income do you want, how soon do you want it, and what is the rest of your overall financial situation. We frequently, Susie, talk about soaking up the tax bracket that you're you're already in. So as this person inherits this money, we would look at, and this is what we don't know right now, we would look at their other sources of income and what tax bracket are they in, and can we take IRA distributions to the point that we soak up the bracket that they're already in, then we stop with the IRA, and then if they still want more income, then we look at Roth or we look at that non-qualified account. So what this question really is, and it's universal, everybody listening is going to have this issue, maybe not with inherited money, but when you get to retirement, you're going to have a variety of different places where your retirement income comes from, a retirement plan at work, your own IRA, your own Roth IRA, Social Security, an investment portfolio that you had. You're going to have all these options. And where does your income come from? And and how do I spend the smartest money first? And again, it's a combination of investment results and tax consequences. And it may change from year to year. So when you start doing that income planning, what you do in 2023 might not be what you do in 2024 based on different tax considerations and different uh, investment returns. So it's a really, really good question. It's complicated, and I would say at the risk of being self-serving, it's one of our biggest value added to our, to our clients because in my space, Susie, in the, in the financial planning world, mm-hmm. everybody's good at investing money. Everybody's good at helping people grow their money, but a lot of firms aren't good at helping clients spend their money. I recognize the fact that you, you save and invest and grow money because you want to retire someday with the lifestyle that you want, and so we have to spend it wisely. We're very good at helping people spend their money wisely and spend the smartest money first, and it's a huge part of comprehensive financial planning. So I thank the texture. It's a really, really good question. There's probably still even other avenues or roads I could go down that uh, I didn't, but I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. All right, let's uh, open up the lines here. 651-461-9226. A texter writes, I have an IRA that has about $30,000 left in it. I have been slowly doing a Roth conversion from it. Given that small amount, I'm 81, is the tax saving on withdrawal worth it for me? Again, a really good question, and, and I, wanna, I want all listeners to, to understand this. When we talk about Roth conversion, mm-hmm. what, what it means is we're taking a traditional IRA 
and we're moving it into a Roth IRA. Now, in a traditional IRA, when you take withdrawals, that's a taxable event. When you take withdrawals from, an I, from a Roth IRA, assuming it's been in there at least five years, that's tax-free. That is not a taxable event. So everyone that listens to that go, duh, I'm going to move it from an IRA to a Roth IRA. I'd rather have tax-free than pay the tax. But to convert it, that's like a withdrawal. So that's a taxable event. So the big question that you look at at Roth conversion is, what is the tax or what is the cost to, to do the conversion? And then is it going to be in that Roth long enough so that the tax-free gains or earnings can offset that short-term cost to get it there? Now, an 81-year-old converting small amounts, it, it's probably going to be, I don't want to trivialize the question because it's obviously important to them, but it's probably going to be less impactful than if they were 41 or 51 or even 61, and you've got a lot more time for it to accumulate tax-free in that Roth. At 80-something, the time horizon until you leave this world or spend that money might be short enough that the, the short-term tax consequence of getting it to the Roth, it, it, may, it may be six of one, half dozen of the other. It may not make that dramatic of a difference. So again, Without knowing more information, I'm not going to say that they're wrong to do that or that it's a bad idea. I would say it's probably not as impactful or as meaningful as it would be if they were younger or the amount that they were converting was larger. 651-461-9226. We've got about three minutes left until we do have to break at the bottom of the hour. Is money from a credit shelter account taxable? Thank you. Enjoy your program so much. Oh, thank you. Money from a credit shelter account. Now, I got to admit, and this is where I'm going to miss Peg. I know. The term, <laughs> the, the, the term credit shelter um, rings a bell with me, but in my head, I'm not sure exactly what the defin, definition is. I'm, I, I'll, I'll say what I think it means, but I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to caveat. Put a little caveat. Yeah, the caveat is I, I, I'm, I'm guessing a little bit here. So when someone says uh, a credit shelter, um, it's, it's, it's structuring an asset to protect it from creditors. And so retirement plans, IRAs and 401ks, they all have certain various mechanisms of protection from credit built into them. And it's not the same. And I, and I can't remember now. I, I, I want to say that an IRA is more protected from creditors than, say, a corporate retirement plan like a 401k. Okay. So when they're talking about credit shelter and then they're talking about taxes on, on the withdrawals, I think they're really talking about a retirement plan and what is the tax consequence. So if it's a traditional IRA or traditional 401k or you know traditional company retirement plan, it's a tax-deferred plan, so there's no... 1099s, there's no taxes while it's growing, but when they take withdrawals or distributions, those are taxed as ordinary income. If it's a Roth and it's been there for at least five years, they can take withdrawals with no tax consequence whatsoever. Now, that, that, seemed, that part of it seems simple that almost everybody would know, and that's why I'm wondering when they say credit shelter, if I'm thinking of the right thing that they're thinking, and I certainly might not be, but I'll, I'll make this commitment. I'll get busy on the internet uh, uh, here on the break or, or go to my central planning and get a definition of credit shelter. And if we totally missed it, we'll come back in a future show and address that one again. 
All right. We have about a minute left. We'll remind people that you are listening to Your Money Wealth Enhancement Group. And if you want to email your questions separately from this program, you can do that at your money at wealthenhancement.com. There's also a, a phone number that is answered 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Somebody there to take a message at least for you and they'll get back to you as they do. Uh, it's one eight 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 six advice And this program this morning is called Ask Bruce Anything. We have a number of texters at 651 651- Four six one nine two two six, and remember, you can also call that and have a conversation with Bruce live and in person. Uh, Bruce, there's a text question coming in. The Fed keeps raising interest rates. How high? How will higher interest rates affect my financial plan in 2023? So we have about 30 seconds. Why don't we just sort yeah. of ponder that and um, come back on the other side of the break? And maybe you can get into some of the ins and outs of how those interest rates affect your financial plan, if at all. Should you be doing something? Should you try to sell or buy? We'll get to all of that coming up after this break on Your Money. Welcome back. It is Your Money. Reminding you once again, you can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, one eight 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 six. Advice, if you have a question for Bruce Helmore or anyone at Wealth Enhancement Group, you can also email questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. If you're listening right now and you want to call in, you can get on the line with us at 651-461-9226. Once again, Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor Bruce Helmer. Bruce is the founder of Wealth Enhancement. How many years ago, Bruce, did you found Wealth Enhancement Group? Oh, my gosh. I think it's 27. 27 years. Unbelievable. How many years have you been on The Good Neighbor uh, here in Minneapolis-St. Paul? 27. (laughs) The the founding of Wealth Enhancement Group coincided almost exactly with when we started doing this show. That's fantastic. Well, we got into the break talking uh, about a question that a listener had about investing and interest rates and how it may or may not affect a person's financial plan in 2023. And I think that is really a relevant question for all of us as, you know, we can't do anything about interest rates and yet they are certainly a factor in all of our considerations when it comes to money, right? Absolutely. It is a really great question. And it's obviously uh, on the top of everybody's mind, everybody's aware of the Fed continues to raise interest rates. And, and it's always a two-edged sword in that um, interest rates uh, going up are good for savers. You know, so I keep getting little emails from my bank account that, you know, we've raised your rate from this to this. I think it's up to like 3.3%, which is the highest it's ever been. So that's great for savers. But for borrowers, like if you're trying to get a mortgage and buy a house, I think interest rates now on a, on a home loan are close to 7%, and so it's tough on borrowers. But for the most part, Susie, when people try to time their life decisions based on 
the price of real estate or where the stock market is or where interest rates are. You're never going to be able to time that perfectly. I tell people, and my son kind of just went through this. My son bought a house last year and he said, gosh, I'm probably buying at the top of the market and and we're going to see values go down. And I said, well, that might or might not be true, Greg, but the time for you to buy a house is when it's time for you to buy a house. When your economic situation is such that you can afford the down payment, you can afford the monthly mortgage, you've, you've looked at all this, you've got money to do some improvements or some changes to the house. When it fits your lifestyle and you can afford it, don't, don't wait to think prices will come down. Don't wait to think maybe interest rates will come down. You do it when you can afford to do it, when it's right for you, and it's never going to be perfect timing if you look at just the economics. But with the rising interest rates, how, you know, a lot of people say, how is that going to affect stocks? I don't think much. I think uh, the idea that the Fed is going to keep raising rates has already been factored into the pricing of the stock market. The stock market is forward-looking, and I think part of our negative year in 2022 was because of the rising interest rates. I don't know how much that's going to be impacting stocks in 2023. I look more at bonds when I look at rising interest rates because, as most of our listeners, I think, understand – when interest rates go up, bond prices go down. Mm-hmm. And so the, the attractive bonds, um, I, you know, I'm kind of shying away from bonds, but if I were going to invest in bonds, I would use the tips or the so-called inflation-protected bonds. I find those far more attractive than, than other types of, uh, you know, uh, either corporate bonds or, or, or other types of government bonds. I like the inflation protected bonds the most. And and, uh, a lot of people have asked about that. A lot of people have been buying them. And it might be comparatively a small part of your portfolio, but it still might, you know, make some sense in a rising interest rate environment to add those inflation bonds. And then Susie, I wanted to get to this and I and and I didn't in the first half. I should I should jump in now. Mm. Um, Wealth Enhancement Group historically this time of the year likes to give a thank you back to listeners. And the way we like to do that is, and, and I'm hearing this from clients all the time, after the tough year we had in 2022, uh, the questions I get on review meetings is, how am I doing? Am I still on track? Can I retire when, when I thought I could? I did retire already. Am I going to be okay? We get a lot of that. People want to know where they are. So we created this, uh, this tool years ago called the Reality Check Report. The reality check report is based on your actual experiences, how much money you have, when you want to retire, how much you want to spend at retirement. We take your data. We, we invite you to sit down with a wealth enhancement group advisor. There's no cost. There's no obligation to this meeting. And you can get our reality check report at no cost. And I'm going to give a number. And I know we throw a lot of numbers at people and you can't keep them all straight. I apologize for that. But I'm going to give you one different number. It's one 888-207-1352. That's 1-888-207-1352. Now, what do you get with this reality check? Again, no cost, no obligation. If you're not impressed, you walk away. Obviously, the what's in it for us is we hope we make a favorable impression and you might consider engaging our services. But if you just want to come in for the reality check and walk away, it's personalized to you, your situation, your economic reality, your goals. We take your numbers and we design it. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a good tool for anybody, but I think it's particularly valuable if you've saved you know, money in a retirement plan and you've got 
250000 or half a million or something saved for retirement. The report gives you an analysis of your current investments and their tax efficiency. It gives a forecast of potential growth. It gives you an estimate of your Social Security benefits and a projection of taxes and your Medicare and Medigap premiums in the future. So it gives you all those things and it helps you to understand if you're actually prepared to transition to retirement or if you need to build up more assets. It it gives you a sense of where you're really at. That's why we call it reality check. And also the check is a double entendre. It's not only a check of where you at. The report that we gives you give you looks like a paycheck. So it's kind of cool and it's easy to read and it's easy to understand. So if you want to call and come in, no cost, no obligation, we encourage you to do that. You've got nothing to lose, potentially a lot to gain. This is our gift to our listeners. If you want the reality check, one 207 one three five two. Very good. And if you are listening right now and you would like a question answered from Bruce Helmer, the number, not to again inundate you with numbers, but the number right now is six five one four six one nine two two six. Six five one four six one nine two two six. Interesting text question. Hello. What would you say for your clients on average is their return on investment year to date, assuming they have 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds in a portfolio? Hmm. That, that is a good question. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad they quantified it with, you know, what, what percentage of stocks and bonds because normally, Susie and listeners, if someone calls and says, well, what's your uh, average rate of return? I'm not ducking the question, but I have to say, based on what and based over what time frame, we have a lot of different portfolios ranging from aggressive to conservative and everything in between, but the texture was at least specific in that year-to-date, so that gives me a time frame, and 60% stock, 40% bond, which is kind of, a, I think, what's commonly called the bellwether portfolio. A 60-40 portfolio is considered a moderate growth or sometimes it's called a bellwether portfolio. I don't have the number at my fingertips, but I think I think year-to-date that our 60-40 lies somewhere around a negative 12, I want to say, based on where the market ended last week. Now, I, I, again, I, I could, given more time, I could look that up and be more specific, sure. but I know that's close. If okay. it's not, you know, right on the mark, it's close. But let me add perspective to that. Okay. So if, if, if I were a client, let's pretend that, that the, whoever texted um, is, a, is a client, and I said, well, year-to-date, we're negative 12. I would say negative 12. That's terrible. Know, what, that's terrible. I'm, why, why am I paying you guys to lose money? I could lose money all by myself. I don't need you guys to lose money. But therein is the rub. I think if you look at the fair apples-to-apples benchmark of the indices that we would look at that would typically make up a 60-40 or this bellwether portfolio, I think the, the benchmark is down, I want to say, over 14 or even 15%. 
And that's been true of all of our portfolios that I've looked at, Susie, that if you compare an apple to an apple, if you compare a 60-40 to the appropriate benchmark or a full equity portfolio, all stock to the appropriate benchmark, or a 70-30, you know, if you compare an apple to an apple, whenever I've looked, our portfolios have beat the fair apples to apples benchmark by anywhere on average from, from 2 to 4%. 2 to 4% is a lot. So I'm not telling anybody that they should be happy with a negative 12. They shouldn't. But negative 12 is a lot better than a negative 14. So the proactive management that we do, the changes that we made during the year, increasing maybe uh, 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 um, uh, stocks that, uh, that pay dividends, maybe increasing exposure to I-bonds, maybe moving some money into asset classes that do well in inflationary times, like gold and silver or commodities with oil, the, the, the little changes and adjustments that we made, while it was a bad year in everything, it was bad in stocks, bad in bonds, bad in real estate, so it was hard to find a safe harbor, we were able to make little tweaks to the portfolio that made it a little less onerous than it might have been. And then, then again, that's also not counting any planning that we did or any advice that we gave on Roth conversions or when do you draw Social Security or where should you take your, your retirement income from this year? What's the smartest money to spend first? All those things keep happening. And, and whether the, we have a really good year in the market or a really down year, I'm sure that my clients would say, rather than the return on investment with us, which over the years they will say is competitive and they're happy with, they would say that they're more happy is the comprehensive planning that we do, and it's all the other stuff beyond just the management of the portfolio. But it was a, it was a bad year for everybody, us included, and I'm not embarrassed or ashamed to admit that, but I think we did less bad than most, but it was bad. Oh, geez. Um, you know, we want to go back a little bit to this question because there's some more parts to the ones about feds and interest rates. Um, and you saying not having the interest rates, um, sort of don't be holding to it, obviously aware of it. You say things like during these times, build your emergency fund and find like, for example, a certificate of deposits because with interest rates, there is a benefit of making money on savings, right? I mean, forever and ever when interest rates were at like 2%, you couldn't, not, you didn't make money in your savings account, you know, and now maybe you can make, earn some money in an interest rate. You know what I mean? Am I get? Am I saying yeah. this wrong? Okay. I'm yeah, trying no, to no, get... No, you're saying yeah. it absolutely right. Yeah, so um, I, I mentioned it briefly, but you're right. I should dive a little deeper. So I, I said, and I'll, I'll repeat, interest rates are a two-edged sword. That bad for a borrower, but good for a saver. So, um, yeah, a lot of people are you know, putting money into CDs. Now, I don't. I haven't. And what I don't like about the CD is the time commitment. Um, and if you are going to do CDs, I would stay, uh, stay short-term. And I say that because I know there's people now, you know, locking in an interest rate, like maybe they can get 4% on something if they lock it in for three years. Well, what I don't like about that is the way interest rates have been going up. You lock in 4% for three years and we get six months down the road and there's a lot more money out there higher than 4%. Now you're stuck in your 4% return for another two and a half years. So I like to stay short term on my commitments in a rising interest rate environment, which we're still in, 
but but yeah, just on your you know on your regular passbook savings. I know the, the one bank account I have. I just got an email saying they raised my rate to three point three percent in your if savings account. In my savings account, okay. yeah. Okay. So that's on. That's an online bank. I'm, it's probably not appropriate to say the name, but you can Google online banks, and there's a lot of them out there. Um, three point three on a savings account to me to lock up my money for six or twelve months to go get four percent. I'd rather have three point three and have that money totally liquid. But I'm not trying to pe- talk people no, out of no. CDs. No, that's fine if you want a CD, but I, that's what I don't like is the time commitment. But yeah, I've got a lot of money in cash, and I don't, you know, three point three on a year when I just said that you know a diversified moderate growth portfolio was down twelve. A positive three point three on a negative twelve years sounds pretty good to me. So again, it's a combination of all those things, Susie, but maybe on a rising interest rate environment, investors have a little bit more cash than they maybe otherwise would to take advantage of those good interest rates, and they don't need to you know, put so much in the market. Maybe they've got enough market exposure and they wait for it to recover. The other thing I wanted to hit on, and I meant to do this earlier also, I said I keep this list of things that we touched on in previous shows but didn't you know, finish talking about. So a couple of weeks ago, and it might have even, for, for years and years and years on the show, Susie, we've had a, a loyal listener that will call in and ask variations of the question, why doesn't every client get exposed to your roundtable? And, and the implication either is, sometimes is direct, sometimes it's, it's uh, veiled, but it's, somehow it's a shortcoming if not every client goes before our full roundtable uh, group of specialists. And over the years, we tried to answer it a variety of different ways, saying, well, you know, it'd be like saying not every patient that goes to the doctor's office, they, they should all get a full workup from a cardiologist and a podiatrist should come in and look at their feet and, you know, all these specialists should come in. Well, no, sometimes they just have a sinus infection and the general practitioner is going to prescribe an antibiotic. It's pretty straightforward. Our roundtable, which we still have these formalized roundtable meetings, even though the company is not 12 people anymore sitting at a conference table, the roundtable, and I buy pizza, which is what it was in the early days 27 years ago, even though the company now has 86 offices in 22 states and employs over 1,100 people with over 47 clients and about $60 billion in assets under management, we still have the formalized roundtable meeting every Monday using technology, using GoToMeeting and so forth. And generally the cases that go to the roundtable are specialized, unique cases that are highly complicated where the advisor that brings the case is looking for help from other advisors, attorneys, accountants, uh, uh, people on the plant, you know, people on that team of specialists looking for the best possible ideas. But even if it's a straightforward case that I don't bring to a roundtable, doesn't mean that I'm making a unilateral decision. My team is still aware of what's going on. I might ask a question of an accountant internally to get some help. It's not a full roundtable, but it's going to a specialist to help me with things I might not know, or I might bounce it off another advisor in my Eden Prairie office. But this idea that this particular person over the years is that suggests that every client needs to go through the full roundtable, and if they don't, somehow it's a weakness or a shortcoming of our firm, makes absolutely no sense. And it came up again a couple of weeks ago, late in the show, and we never got a chance 
uh, to address it completely. So I wanted to make sure uh, I came back to that one. And then, Susie, i got a question. Um, I've actually had variations of this, but I have a very specific question that, that came in in our email at Wealth Enhancement Group. I retired in June, and my 401k has been taking a beating. I followed advice to keep my initial withdrawals to 4%, and then I can increase them in future years at the rate of inflation. Does that make sense? So this is, the, this is a question, again, pertaining to the so-called 4% rule, which says that's the safe withdrawal rate at retirement to make sure that I don't run out of money before I die. And it's based on what's called Monte Carlo simulations, whereby through a, uh, an algorithm or a computer program, it runs a, a random sequence of returns, high, low, moderate, really big, really low over a course of years. And I, I don't think it's infinite, but it's almost an infinite number of possibilities of the sequence of returns. And based on that almost infinite sequence of returns in this Monte Carlo simulations, it, it's been determined that the safe withdrawal rate to make sure you don't run out of money should start at 4%. I've always thought that's a bunch of bunk, to be honest with you. And the reason I say that is these simulations, they assume that the withdrawals, so let's say you, with, you retired in 2022, and you saw your account balance go down 20% if, you know, if it's all in stocks, and in addition to that uh, retraction from the market, you pull money out of it to fund retirement. So the Monte Carlo simulation would say it's down 20 plus whatever you withdrew. You dug the hole deeper that you're down, and it, and it assumes you're, you're, you're selling stocks. Well, in the real world with our clients at Wealth Enhancement Group, we talk about spending the smartest money first, and we always have a cash position or a short-term position whereby the client doesn't have to sell stocks at an inopportune time. So if you're not liquidating securities when the market's down, those simulations don't, don't mean anything because you're not digging the hole deeper. You're spending your cash when the market is bad. If the market, if you retired last year, a year where the market was at an all-time high, we probably said to you, let's sell some stocks, take your income from there, and, 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 and we'll, we'll take some winnings off the table, and we'll save the cash for the future. So the 4% rule, to me, is overly conservative, and I'm, I think with proper planning and enough buckets of money, clients can actually take a lot more than that. I dismiss that, and I know we're running out of time. Thank okay. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we wish everyone, Bruce, a very happy holiday season, uh, and we'll, I guess next week is Christmas Day, if you can believe it, and the following week is New Year's Day. So we want to remind people to call Wealth Enhancement if they want to have that checkup, that reality check. That number is 888-6-ADVICE. That's one of the numbers. Also, you can email yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com if you want to find out how to get in on that. Bruce, we'll see you next time. Hey, enjoy your birthday and enjoy your special day. That sounds great. All right, Bruce Helmer, your money. One eight 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 six advice your money at wealthenhancement dot com.